1: Welcome to the Xin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Xin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Xin global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. If you're short on time and struggling to keep up with China's business news, well, then this show is the perfect solution. In every bite-sized episode, we serve up the week's biggest developments from the Asian giant that is China. And what a week it has been. The aviation giant Boeing is hoping to launch the return of its infamous 737 MAX planes early next year. Beijing has ordered Washington to stop playing the so-called Taiwan card, and three of China's biggest power producers have seen their profits sink spectacularly. So without further ado, Here's what's been going down in the world's most populous nation. But we start off with how local governments have been reminded that mm, discriminating against foreign business is actually illegal. Citing the foreign investment law, China's finance ministry has said that foreign invested companies registered in China must be able to receive equal treatment in government procurement with domestic firms and must not be discriminated against. In an official notice, Agencies under the central government's budget and provincial and municipal level finance departments were told to guarantee the equal participation of domestic and foreign companies in government procurement procedures as long as production of the goods takes place in China and the projects are not related to national security or state secrets. They were also told not to set unfair requirements aimed at limiting foreign companies' participation and urged to handle complaints of discrimination fairly. The notice added that any regulations or activities violating the notice should be cleared up and reported to the Ministry of Finance by the end of November. Last week also saw China urge the U.S. to stop playing the Taiwan card. The country's foreign ministry said doing so would, quote, "...inevitably pose seismic risks to China-U.S. relations, seriously undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, and gravely harm the interests of the U.S. itself." Beijing's warning comes after U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called on all United Nations member states to support Taiwan's participation in the UN system including the International Civil Aviation Organization and the World Health Organization. And speaking of the U.S., its biggest aviation player, Boeing, said it expects to resume deliveries of its 737 MAX jetliners to China in the first quarter next year. The news comes as the aviation giant seeks to make a comeback in its biggest overseas market after the plane was grounded for nearly three years. According to its CEO, Boeing is working with Chinese regulators to clear its best-selling model to return to service by the end of this year. The plane successfully passed a test flight in August, but the resumption of operations is still pending a ruling by regulators. Several people close to China's Civil Aviation Administration said the regulator is likely to make its decision in November. And turning from planes to steel... The China Iron and Steel Association said in a press conference that China's annual steel output is keeping in line with official targets and is, therefore, expected to be lower this year than in 2020. The average daily output of crude steel was down just over 20% year-on-year in September at around 2.5 million tons. If output remains at this level in the fourth quarter, total annual production will likely be down about 30 million tons to just over 1 billion tons, said Wang Yingsheng, the industry association's deputy secretary general and chief economist. If that is the case, the industry would successfully meet the government's target of decreasing annual output year on year. China has sought to rein in the steel industry for several years, Since 2017, steelmakers had to show that plans to add capacity must include the retirement of a comparatively greater amount of existing capacity. This has risen up the political agenda since last year when the country announced its plans to peak carbon emissions by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. The steel sector accounts for about 15% of the country's carbon emissions. In other big business news, three of China's biggest power-generating companies lost billions of yuan in the third quarter. The companies appear to have been squeezed by soaring coal prices and a state-run pricing system that prevented them from passing on higher costs to consumers. Datang International Power Generation reported a net loss equivalent to 1.6 billion yuan over this period. Huadian Power, swung to a 1.8 billion yuan loss, while Huaneng Power sank 3.5 billion yuan into the red. According to CITIC Securities, the average price paid by power generators for thermal coal, the main fuel used to produce electricity in China, was 109% higher in the third quarter than the same period last year, and 32% higher than the second quarter. The squeeze on coal supplies has been caused by the government's efforts to rein in industrial overcapacity and by stricter safety and environment requirements, which have led to a drop in production. A strong rebound from the COVID-19 pandemic and low stocks of the fuel have also contributed to the shortage. In other power-related news, China's rich list has been updated China's new energy sector billionaires reached new heights on this year's Hurun China Rich List. They were buoyed, in equal measure, by the country's ambitious green goals and the fading fortunes of rivals exposed to real estate and Internet-related sectors. This year, 60 Chinese executives from green energy firms, or companies mainly focused on new energy vehicles, NEVs, made the ranking up from 50 last year, nearly forty of the 50 who made the list last year, grew their wealth. That being said, Shan, the founder of bottled water giant Nungfu Spring, scored first place on the China list this year with a net worth of over $60 billion. It was his second year on the list. Moving on to how Sequoia Capital China seems to be losing its appetite for a certain food delivery titan Sequoia, a longtime backer of Meituan, dumped billions of dollars of shares in the company and slashed its holdings by nearly 60% over three years. The move came after Meituan has been hit by government probes, fines, and public scorn over anti-competitive practices and mistreatment of labor. Public market records show that Sequoia China and its billionaire founder Neil Shen, Shen Nanpeng, reduced their combined stake in Meituan from a peak of roughly 12% in September 2018, when Meituan went public in Hong Kong, to the current 5.29% in 24 transactions. This year alone, the industry insiders say that investors are concerned that tightening regulation will inexorably increase the cost of employing gig workers like takeout riders and ride-hailing drivers. And delivery riders and ride-hailing drivers are the subject of today's interview. Let's turn to Heather Mowbray, deputy of Taishin Global's multimedia department, whose voice will be very familiar to those of you who subscribe, as you should be, to SubChina's podcast, China Stories, on the Seneca Network. Welcome to the show, Heather.
2: Thanks, Kaiser. It's great to be on the show today.
1: So recently you edited an in-depth report for Cicing Global on the plight of gig economy or or platform workers who get injured on the job but who don't receive any compensation or get any insurance coverage. So what exactly is going on there?
2: Yeah, so um, the long read that I was editing looked at something that is essentially a big gap in China's legal system. And it has huge implications for gig workers, which are currently in the news quite a lot, And that is that they're not being protected when they have an accident at work. So when something happens on the job, injuries are very often not recognized as being work-related. And the gig workers that work for essentially online platforms often don't get any compensation from the company. And I didn't know much about this before reading the article. But it seems that in China's labor law, which is fairly recent, it doesn't really protect the rights of workers who don't have formal labor contracts. So, and the key is, when these workers get into trouble, is that they have to establish what those labor relationships are with their employers. And when I was reading through one particular case, which I'll get to later on, the traditional labor relationships depend on three aspects. It's on a basis of personal connections, economic connections, and organizational connections. And Li Jianfei, who is a law professor at Beijing's Renmin University, who participated in drafting the labor law, he said that actually in two-thirds of cases in which a worker seeks to confirm their labor relationship with employer, the court rules that no such relationship exists. And this problem seems to be that even when aspects are addressed by lawyers, it's rare to see judgments in favor of the workers. As basically speaking, the judges remain pretty conservative. They're also sometimes not even consistent in their rulings. So you can get a range of different results. I guess that's why uh, workers st- still continue to uh, bring up these cases. All of this is from a survey by Beijing Haidian District People's Court.
1: Heather, can we drill down a bit on the reasons why so many of these flexible workers are losing the cases that they bring to the courts?
2: Yeah, well, in the case of outsourcing, platform enterprises often use outsource workers to reduce costs. They don't have to pay for their insurance costs, for example. And these workers are often hired by third parties. Um, so they don't normally have labor contracts with the company they're working for. They work, they work for a third party agency who pays their salaries. So, and this can be a big deal because when people get into trouble at work, or have traffic accidents, in the case of takeout riders, for example, their compensation requests can be quite huge if they don't have insurance themselves. And this, this affects a lot of people. There's been a huge rise in traffic accidents involving takeout riders, up to 22% in one of the years, according to government data. And the number of injuries increased 8.6% year on year. And deaths grew 133% year on year, according to the data in this article. So there's one case in particular that this article uh, focused on, and it was about a man called Liu Jiwei. So he's one of millions of drivers working for Didi, and he died suddenly on February 16th, two years ago, 2019, in his work-registered car. So despite two years of working on it, his family was unable to prove that Liu had established a formal labor relationship with Didi, and so they didn't manage to get any compensation for his death, despite the fact he'd driven thousands of rides for the company. So according to his lawyer, Lille did have the kind of relationship with DD that fit those three categories I talked about before. So on a personal level, Lille was assigned tasks by the company and was subject to their regulations and punishments. That proves he had a personal connection. Also, it was his only source of income. He got about 10,000 yuan per month, from the company and he was therefore dependent on them economically last but not least he had been trained and controlled by dd in the course of his work so that's a manifestation of organizational subordination to dd but this wasn't enough to get the courts on his family side so he didn't manage his family didn't manage to get any money
1: okay so what's beijing now trying to do to address what i think many people Uh, even in government, are increasingly recognizing is a deeply unfair situation.
2: Well, it seems that this has come up now because everyone's having a go at Meituan and Didi. So the country is now working on a national pilot program that will give occupational injury insurance to workers that work for delivery and ride-hailing firms such as Meituan and Didi. And in September, Chinese regulators told Meituan and Didi that they would be included in the pilot program and that uh, the regulators were going to get pretty tough on forms of employment that were not of the traditional type. And the pilot program will start with industries that have drawn high social attention and are full of high risk. And it's expected to to be launched next year and last for one or two years before they figure out what the permanent uh, uh, form is going to be.
1: Okay, thanks, Heather, for filling us in.
2: Thanks a lot for uh, having me on the show, and uh, appreciate it.
1: And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Sin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. If you want to listen to our extensive back catalogue of podcasts or check out more of Caixin Global's great journalism, then download our app or head online at SicingGlobal.com. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.